Hello, you're listening to the Up Spiral Leadership Podcast with your hosts, Poe Chu, Rebecca Breitling, and Sue Covelli-Buntley. This podcast is dedicated to helping leaders at all levels to think bigger, act bolder, and collaborate better in order to create positive change even when it's hard. Join us as we explore journeys toward a world where everyone is running to co-create a better future because they feel valued, inspired, and connected. Hello, this is Poe Chu, and I am here with my co-host, Sue Cavalli-Buntley. We are so honored to introduce our guest for today, Lyndon Rago. We know Lyndon through the Leadership Forum community. Lyndon is the founder of Cometa, an initiative to build community and revitalize Greensboro, North Carolina. He is the founding head of the Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership at the African Leadership University, where he has focused on shaping an integrated approach to development. Prior to that, Lyndon was a senior leader for 14 years at the Center for Creative Leadership, where he led innovative efforts and the transformative Leadership Beyond Boundaries practice, which focused on increasing access to leadership development in the world. I personally have had the chance to work with Lyndon on a project together recently to build a tool that promotes courageous dialogue and diversity, equity, and inclusion in organizations and in our communities um, through the Leadership Forum community. I personally also really admire Lyndon, um, the fact that he has such global experience and perspectives. He has worked in nearly two dozen countries across Asia, the Americas, and Africa for organizations and in community efforts, working with individuals just across the board. It's just really amazing. So, you know, we're just so honored, Lyndon, to have you here. Maybe we can get started by having you just maybe have you introduce yourself because we want our listening audience to hear from you a little bit about more about your background. So why don't we get started with that? Great. Thank you so much, Poi. And it's my privilege also to be with you today. And uh, I've appreciated the opportunity to work with you and to, to connect uh, on the project that we've been working on. But a little bit more, you, you provided a very generous introduction. One thing that I might add that colors my own perspectives is that uh, I was born in India. My family lived in the Middle East, so I grew up a little bit in Kuwait and used to go back and forth between India and Kuwait because I studied in India for the most part. And then I had a chance to come over to the United States as a young person to to go to college. And I wound up in a small town in Wyoming, I think of about 500 people, having moved from a city of who knows, maybe about 12 or 15 million, Mumbai in India. So that was a bit of a culture shock. So just to say that, you know, in addition to having worked in a number of places, I think some of those early years and living in three different cultures has been a key part of my own journey. That's awesome, Lyndon. I'm just really curious then. I know that you, your passion definitely is about bringing positive change for this world. And just through the work that you've done at the Center for Creative Leadership and also currently what you're doing with, through Cometa, just wondering if you could highlight some, maybe one story with us that really demonstrate your passion for creating change. And really, how did you get started on this journey? And why is creating positive change in the world so important to you? Yeah. So I mentioned I grew up in India and my early years in India, which were 
mainly in the 1970s and a bit of the 80s when I left, was at the time that India was a whole lot poorer than it is today. And India is still a relatively poor country. But then, you know, it was much poorer. And, you know, I lived in Mumbai for a bit and the streets were covered with people, homeless people living on the sidewalks and, you know, under tarps and around railroad tracks. And my family wasn't rich, but we were, you know, middle class and we had a place to stay and food to eat. And I had a really sharp sense of uh, the good fortune that I have or the privilege from just by virtue of where I was born and a sense that I wanted to do something to make a difference. And I think that's been a, a continual journey for me to, to really think about what might I do with the opportunities or the abilities that I have that could make a contribution. But I think it really comes from that, those early years of that kind of encounter with poverty. Specifically, I might, you know, just to be, you know, to give you a picture of a particular impression uh, that I had. So I lived in an apartment building in Mumbai, and there was a family that lived on the sidewalk um, at the bottom of the building. And the mother, I think they must have come like many people who wind up in the city from uh, some village in India and move to the city for opportunity. But the mother would clean houses, you know, she would work in various apartments. But the father and the child, who was maybe, gosh, maybe about two years old, they spent the entire day just sitting out on the sidewalk and maybe a couple of feet away from the busy street with buses and trucks rolling by. And there was, as you can imagine, a lot of exhaust smoke and dust and everything. And this baby was just there. And I remember this baby, by, by and large, didn't have a stitch of clothing on. And they just sat there. And at this sense, you know, as I mentioned, of just you know, the difference between my life and the life of that child by virtue of just happenstance, right? And I have no idea what happened to the child and what that became of the child downstream. But I think for me, there was a certain kind of commitment of saying, well, what could I do with my life that would make a difference for people such as that child? So that was part of the trigger for my, my journey that I think this still stuck with me. Wow. How, how old were you at the time? I'm just really curious. Yeah, I think at the time, probably around 15, you know, this would have been over okay. a number of years, in fact, that um, probably mm -hmm. that family was down on the sidewalk. Um, but yeah, about that age, yeah, maybe a little bit younger, perhaps, yeah. That's great, Lyndon. I think that's such a beautiful story. So when do you think, just following up on that question, when do you feel like was your first opportunity to, to do a little bit of what, what was put in your heart? Yeah, I think like I went to a boarding school and it was an old boys school in a small town up in the hills and we were really isolated. And I probably had a number of early impressions at the school of, you know, what I might look back and think about as leadership. But I think it was about a level of integrity. Sometimes it was not easy to do, quote unquote, the right thing because there might be punishment, etc. But invariably, looking back, I could feel that those things actually led to good outcomes for me and things that I could feel good about myself. But I think, you know, I lived in, you know, in my early years in, in an environment that I felt that perhaps I had to conform to norms of what everybody else was doing. And in a way, this is also feeling disempowered that you're young, you don't have any abilities to make a difference. 
And so I think, again, some of my experiences when I came over to America and I wound up in that small town, I went to a community college in Wyoming and then went to school in North Dakota. But I had an opportunity at the University of North Dakota to take on a project. It was for uh, World Food Day, uh, which was a global event just to build awareness of hunger and food issues. And I was designated the responsibility, this was North Dakota, of managing the statewide event. Never done anything like that before. And, you know, it wasn't even from North Dakota, of course, but it was just the responsibility of uh, taking that on and trying to figure out the allies and figure out the funding and do the marketing was very instructive in helping me understand that there's a lot more possible than I might otherwise think. And there was, of course, the professor who had given me the task and, you know, with the sense of belief that I was capable that I didn't see myself. So I think that I've appreciated that, that there's so much more possible for us than we sometimes think. And we just need to give ourselves permission to perhaps try and even if, if it entails failing, but that's how we learn. That's great. I, I love that insight. And I love that as advice too for all of us, right? Like right. sort of we have to believe in the impossible sometimes because it can come true, like if we work on it, right? So I'm just curious, how then do you use that? Like, because I love how you talk about that passion for creating change and helping others get ignited at such an early age. And then as you continue your, your leadership journey, this passion follows you, right? So how do you channel that, that insight that you just shared with us to kind of continue into your own leadership contribution, like as you move through your career? Yeah, I think it's probably the reason why I found my way into doing leadership development, which I understand at one level is about the self, right? It's about empowerment of understanding who you are and you know what your gifts are and what your calling is and being empowered to manifest that in the world, whatever it is, you know, you want to be an artist, you want to be a teacher, you want to be an engineer, a doctor, you know, whatever you do, it's important that that really connects with the calling that you have. And I think oftentimes, just like myself as a child, you get pushed into circumstances that one thing follows another and you don't necessarily make a deliberate choice. It's maybe parents tell you what to do, or it seems like it's the thing available to you. But lost in all of that is the choice of saying, well, what is it that I really should be doing? What is that intention? And it may not be the obvious or the easy thing. And so leadership development for me at at that base level is really about the discovery of the self and understanding who I am and what I want. And then it's a journey, of course, about like, how do I get to where I want? How do I accomplish the things? And that's a lifelong journey of growth and deepening one's both understanding of oneself and world around us. But then I also come back to, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, levels of impact that we can create. So this idea, which is embedded in the concept of Ubuntu. So I, I spent a couple of years in Africa before I came back to America. And Ubuntu is a concept from South Africa popularized by Desmond Tutu. And one translation on one expression of it is that I am because we are. So it recognizes the individual, right? Every individual is unique and different and worthy of respect, but we're also parts of collectives and we belong to a larger context. And the question is, how do those two come together in a meaningful way? 
And so I recognize in the midst of all of this that we have responsibilities, we're interdependent, and we can make a difference in the shape of the world. But that this is not two separate categories, but they're deeply connected. Because in terms of understanding one's purpose, usually as one uh, moves perhaps to different stages of development, the opportunity is to say, how can I have wider ripples of impact and leave, if you will, something behind in the world that is beneficial. So I think for me also with the leadership work, it's largely also about saying, well, what do you do to fulfill your purpose? But what can you do also that makes this a better world. And I believe that kind of reflects back on us. It actually fills us with a greater sense of well-being and joy because our lives have truly made a difference. So Lyndon, I'm curious, earlier, you know, you mentioned about stages of leadership. And I'm wondering if you could explain to our audience members what you mean by that so that we can all learn learn from that. Because we understand leadership is a journey and curious how you define stages of leadership. Yeah, so I think this is a a concept that has been approached from a number of levels, so or lenses as well. So like at the basic level, it's Maslow's hierarchy, right? That at the base level, it's just about kind of survival, and then it becomes much more about kind of human needs of, you know, being able to advance. But at the highest level, it's that self-actualization. So there are a number of other people who've kind of expanded on this. So for instance... Your organizational name, which references the spiral, right? So there is an upward spiral. So there is something called spiral dynamics that also explores these stages of development and how do we move from perhaps being relatively independent and disempowered to feeling empowered, but also working at a level of really integrating a number of lenses and also creating greater ripples of impact. I'd say the The framework also that I've uh, encountered that's quite popular, and I know that you'll have worked with a colleague of mine, Chuck Paulus, who created a tool called Transformations. So Transformations is based on the work of Bill Tober, who also kind of offered the stage theory of seven stages that lead up to being more of an alchemist, right, who's able to fuse a number of these and resolve a number of these tensions, but an alchemist takes something and turns it into something else. So in my own work, though, I've kind of coming from India, I've created a framework that's based on the Indian system of the seven chakras that are these energy centers. But I think that the idea is very much the same at the root chakra level. It's very much about survival, right? And in this case, it's really saying that I am worth something, that I am somebody. A lot of people who are disempowered or you feel oppressed don't feel like their life has any value. So I think it's not something to be discounted. Here in the West, we might come from places of privilege and we know that we matter, but not so for many people that they feel that they're very disposable. And I think the that stage is really saying, well, who am I? You know, what am I about? And then a higher level from that, again, which is not insignificant, is to say, well, what is it that I want from life? So many people in traditional worlds and environments actually don't feel like they have much of a choice over their destiny. You know, either fate, the destiny, or family, or culture is going to give them something and they feel like, I just got to go along with that. But to actually think that I have a choice over my life is something significant. 
And I think the third stage is really then about, well, how do I get to where I'm trying to go, right? I know who I am, I know what I want, but how do I get there? And that's also a leadership journey. That's about the empowerment, it's about learning. But much of that is in the kind of space of the self, right? It's my own leadership journey, something we might call leading self or self-leadership. A level about that becomes really about how do I become a leader in the context of others? So for many of us, the journey then is to actually move where we're in organizations and wedding up teams, organizational efforts. But usually what we're then doing is working for the benefit of that particular organization. So it sometimes becomes a little bit more of a, a narrow identity, uh, a competitive stance to seek benefit of one entity over the others. What you find then, I think, is a lot of social change leaders who operate a level higher and they aren't just thinking about an organization, you know, or an entity or even a group of people, but they're thinking about a cause, right? So a lot of social entrepreneurs are saying, well, how do I make a difference around hunger? How do I improve education? How do I increase access to good food? Whatever it is, right? So it's a cause. And what they then do are then aggregating efforts of people in multiple organizations to come together to work on that cause. So a lot of social entrepreneurs do that. Yet a level higher in the chakra framework is really looking at people like Gandhi and Mandela and Martin Luther King, the people that I think around the world are the most admired. And I think what they do is remarkable because, again, they're really true to themselves. You know, it's that passion that they have, their ability to be able to mobilize people. So it's like this include and transcend journey as you move up the framework, right? But what they do that's different from the level below is that they're not just holding up their cause, they're also holding up the cause of the other. So often there is a tension, there is an adversarial nature with people on the other side who perhaps represent the status quo or the power systems. And these people are able to say, it's not just you against me, they're not just revolutionaries, if you will. They're integrators, they're doing some of this alchemist kind of work of saying, well, how do we really come together and find yet a third way you know, uh, that lets us live in level of harmony and it's not you against me, but us together. So Martin Luther King, for instance, you know, said it in, you know, this way that we must live together as brothers or perish as fools. He recognized, you know, in so many ways that our destinies are woven together. And I think if you get the level highest in, in this particular system, and often then it's spiritual leaders, which are working in a space of oneness, and it's not just liberation from a level of oppression. So a lot of those people like Gandhi and Mandela and Martin Luther King are really working to liberate people from deep-seated challenges of the endemic. But it's, it comes back to liberation from self, right? And in fact, they're not necessarily working on a narrow agenda. So people like the Buddha, for instance, who represented this kind of orientation. And you can think about people like the Buddha or Jesus, you know, their impact, unlike a Mandela or Martin Luther King, let alone social entrepreneurs, you know, stands for thousands of years, right? Because what they've left us is something that actually has relevance well beyond their own lives and well beyond generations. So it's not about the liberation of nations because nations come and go. But I think what they help us do is focus on the liberation of self, right? Back to our own persona of how do we see the world? How do we experience ourselves? You know, how might we live in the world? Those questions. And the curious thing is that if you hit that stage and for those people, it then doesn't become about the material stuff anymore. 
so you can take away all their possessions and maybe you can put them in some kind of imprisonment camp or torture them as Jesus was tortured, etc. And they still hold on to that level of grace and poise and meaning that they aren't diminished by what comes to them from the outside. So in a way, this is the ultimate liberation that's there. So in a way, this kind of framework really comes full circle back to the self. That in a way, the journey for many of us is to go from that level of you know, being disempowered to feeling empowered and then working up the cycle of, well, how can I increase the impact that I have in the material world? But ultimately, it's the way of finding our way back to that, those spiritual questions that are there. So that's a really long answer, but I think it's something that is embedded in the work that I do. That's perfect, Lyndon, and I think that's so incredibly significant, and, and I'm in awe. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that with us. One of the things I was thinking of, because you were inspiring me, is if I am someone or if any of our listeners are thinking about how they can progress, maybe, in that, in, you know, within those levels of leadership, and, or they might feel like they're in a down spiral or that they don't matter, what are some first steps that someone could take? Because I know that you're so, you know, you've done so much work with helping not only organizations and communities, but also individuals. So if there's an individual out there that's wondering, what is a good first step to take? What would, what would you say? Where could we start? I think I, I contrast, I think, from, again, a leadership perspective. And I worked at the Center for Creative Leadership. And, you know, the thing that really started to become very clear to me there is the focus on self-awareness, right? Mm-hmm. So if what I might call our inner work that we might do. So there is the external. Much of the world wants us to do things, to demonstrate action, to create value, etc., and we can bypass like what's the work that we do inside of ourselves so i sometimes you know use a framework that i call being knowing doing and i think curiously this was one that you know the military at west point for instance uses as well but the being is really that inner space of identity and purpose and calling and awareness that's there and the knowing is where i think a lot of the world tends to go with in terms of concepts and knowledge what we get in education and you're valued for what it is that you know. And then the outer ripple is really the one of doing, right? The, the material visible stuff of actions. But in order for us to do something differently, sometimes it isn't just what we know, you know, but it's our own personal commitment, right? So there's this knowing doing gap that's there, but it's because of the zone of belief or the, like in my own journey about, do I believe it's not possible for me or I don't feel like, I might succeed or it's my call to do these things. So I think that inner space is the one that allows us to kind of reach far beyond maybe the things that seem possible or the things that are likely open to us and let us stretch. So I think when that fire, if you will, is lit in terms of really thinking about the passion and what I'm committed to, then I'm willing to take these steps to, to do the things you know, that don't seem as easy to do. And the payoff in a way is just kind of doing the right thing. It's less than about the outcomes, right? So along each of these journeys, I think there is the need to do the inner work. But unfortunately, I think, again, for many of us, we don't necessarily do this intentionally. You know, it's sometimes invisible to us. And we aren't taught when we're young people to really reflect and we're not taught to think about our choices. We're not taught to think about our identity. So I think my hope is that 
with the work that we might do is to make this some of what we all get when we're young people in education. So it's not about just the knowledge acquisition or the skill acquisition, but it's also that inner space of really understanding who we are. The other thing that I'd add is, you know, often in the process of change, we tend to get stuck and we keep on doing the same things that serve as well. So why change if what I'm doing is working? But it's usually when we reach some level of challenge or struggle and what we're doing no longer works is that when we're actually forced to actually expand and open up and think about what else might I be doing. So in, in this journey, actually, failure and struggle and hardship becomes really important. So even in the lives, I think, of those great change leaders like Mandela and Gandhi and Martin Luther King, if we look at their lives, we know that they were filled with a lot of struggle. They were imprisoned, they were beaten, you know, they went through all kinds of hardship. And what they did with that is develop a deeper sense of empathy, a deeper level of commitment for what they might do with their lives. But we know that actually that this can go two ways too, that sometimes struggles can also make us bitter, it can make us more adversarial, it can make us harder. We can also look at leaders in the world, some who head up nations, and we know that they can be tyrants, and oftentimes they're acting in ways that create a lot of negative impact, but they're powerful, right? Like in, in the way, as I was talking about movement leaders, they're able to mobilize people around ideas, but often they are acting from a level of trauma that they experienced you know, early in their lives that's manifest rather than in the way that Mandela was able to transform it. But this ex comes out in the space of hatred or me against you and how can I defeat the other people for the benefit of my own, if you will, in-group. Yeah, I love the way you say that because it really does cast a whole different light on what change, challenge, and struggle can really mean and how hurt manifests itself in so many different ways. And it, And it's an intentional choice. And I think that just by hearing you say that, it just reminds me that we always have so many possibilities open open to us. And sometime in the midst of a challenge, we forget that, but but you're I'm gonna remember your voice <laughs> that there are many, many more possibilities. And and speaking of that, so what what is your what do you feel like either you've learned about yourself along the way or what are some of the impact of, of your efforts? Because you've done so much and, and we could never, even in our bio, Poi and I talked about it. How can we talk about Lyndon? Because he's changed the world so much already. But, you know, what are some of the things that you would say? And I know you're incredibly humble, but we would love to hear a little bit about the impact yeah. or what you've learned. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I think in the impact, so I had the privilege of uh, working at the Center for Creative Leadership and, you know, creating a practice called Leadership Beyond Boundaries. And this was an effort that was really thinking about how do we democratize leadership development? And by that we meant, how do we get it into, if you will, the lives of more people around the world? Because by and large, executive education is geared towards people who work in large companies who are in senior roles, typically in Western environments where there's greater affluence. It isn't as much and wasn't definitely available in much of the developing world. It wasn't available to young people. It wasn't available to marginalized people. And these are the people for whom leadership development could actually make a greater difference. People who are already successful, if they perhaps build their leadership skills, they could be more effective, but they're already kind of doing quite well. But the people like I talked about who are at that bottom level of that spectrum, 
you know, just a shift in mindset and belief could totally transform their lives, right? So the question was, how could we actually get this to more people in the world? And as an organization, CCL has got, you know, a very strong brand, but it also offers premium services that cost a lot of money. Very few people get to take advantage of those. So we said, well, how could we figure out how we might get this to many more people in the world? So we built this model called Leadership Beyond Boundaries, which actually said, well, we don't have to be the ones doing all the work around the world. What we have is IP and knowledge and capability, and could we find ways to transfer that knowledge and capability to people at the grassroots around the world, maybe people working in educational systems and nonprofits and government community organizations, even children themselves could be agents of development of other kids. So this practice really um, was over the course of 10 years that I was involved in running it. You know, we, we, we believe it grew to, you know, impacting people in about 50 countries and maybe 500,000 people around the world. I have a colleague who recently cited a figure of the continuation of this world of closer to a million people in the world, which is tremendous, right? So for me, that was a place where I felt, gosh, I was able to take my passions and my commitments and do something that created a lot of difference. And of course, this changed the lives of many people around the world. We got to work with government entities, but of course, just based on the stories I told at the beginning, what did this do for the lives of orphans and people who are marginalized? That's perhaps what I'm proudest of, yeah. So before the lightning round, so one of the things that I do wanna ask Lyndon is I really admire the fact that you travel around the world, you've worked around the world. That's definitely an experience that I longed for in my own leadership journey. I'm just really curious if you could just share a one brief story of maybe a location, a country, or an experience, you know, throughout your travel that is, that's most memorable for you, mm -hmm. that really, like, signify why you're in this work. I'm just really curious about that. <laughs> yeah, I'd say probably looking back, I probably have many, many stories from, you know, the opportunities that I had to work around the world. One of the ones that I'll share is I was doing some work with a youth organization. It was a train the trainer program it was for youth organizations in India and we were running this program in in Hyderabad which is in the south of India and part of the train the trainer program required the people that we had trained up to then deliver a program that we would kind of observe and provide feedback for them but it was to a live audience of people so the people that were brought in for them to quote-unquote deliver the program to were from the slum in Hyderabad and uh, I remember when the participants filtered into the room and you could see, again, the context in which they were. So they were young, a few young people because they were invited and they went and sat on one side and women and girls sat separately from men. And so, you know, they kind of basically formed into their identity groups because that's not how they would interact with each other. They would kind of stay apart. So the facilitators did like a, curious activity that they kind of made up is that they got everybody on their feet and said, well, we're going to clap our hands and you just kind of keep walking around the room. And when we stop clapping, you just stop. So they did this for a little bit and the room was completely mixed up. And then they said, okay, now the three people around you are going to be your partners that you're going to be working with. So suddenly they were already in mixed gender, mixed age, mixed religious groups, et cetera. And then they did this activity that was using a tool called Visual Explorer that I know that you all know well, 
and it doesn't require you to use language in terms of words, etc. So again, suitable to people from different cultures because they were talking another language. And I have this picture that I took somewhere, I still have, but the image is in my mind of this young girl, maybe she was about 15, 14, and she was sharing her visual explorer image and there were a group of other people around her listening intently to her experience and they were much older, there was a male, there were women, etc., who were around her listening to her story, which she was able to tell. And I was thinking in that moment that, gosh, something like that would have never happened. You'd never get a young woman, a young girl, I think, and she was Muslim, being listened to by these elder people who suddenly had a sense of empathy and respect for who she was. And she probably had a level of empowerment being able to tell her story and the connections that might have come out of those experiences. So that's just like one image from one program that represents the power of this kind of work. Yeah. That's great. I mean, yes, I think I feel like the world we live in today needs that so much, right? Like bringing people together where we can truly be seen, right? To your point, like where we can be who we are, share our stories, our perspective, and really be listened to respectfully. And at the same time, have that dialogue with one another. So we, we can also hear other people's stories. And, and I know that's the spirit behind your work around Cometa, et cetera, which maybe we could even do another podcast just on Cometa because I thought mm -hmm. that that's just really amazing as an initiative that you're doing for Greensboro. But yeah, no, thank you. That, that's, that's really an amazing story. And you're right. I feel like, yes, if we could listen more and have conversations more with one another and make connections across boundaries, that's really, all of us has that power to change the world. So that's really a great inspiration. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So I'm gonna let you do the lightning round with, with Lyndon. Yes, and I love your idea, Pui, of having a podcast just about Cometo because I had the, the honor of being part of a, of a group for the Leadership Forum community to experience the ICU activity as part of what Lyndon has created with Leadership Forum. I know Poe, you're part of that as well. It was transformational and I've been through similar activities and there was something special about this one uh, because the type of conversation and discussion that I was able to have with two other people is, and this was over a week ago, is a conversation that I think I'll always remember. I, I will go back to, and it, it touched me in a really deep way and it helped me see things completely differently. It helped me see myself in a different way. And it, it just filled me with fuel ideas and possibility. So we encourage people, everyone to, you know, think about that, those types of courageous conversations and, and Lyndon, we, we would love to do another podcast where you could tell us a little bit more about that so we could get that out into the world because the visual that you just uh, created for us, for the young, the young woman who was able to have a conversation on a really deep level, if that could happen, just like you said, if that could happen everywhere, I'm thinking of the world, I'm thinking of my own children, it, would, it could change everything. So love that. <laughs> and Thank with you. that, uh, let's you. go into the lightning round, which is, is some of this you've already touched, but it, it can't hurt to hear it again. And the lightning round is just fun anyway, because it's, it's powerful questions, brief responses, but it's a great way to, to near the end of this podcast anyway. But the first question is, what leadership trait does the world need the most? Say self-awareness. Mm, excellent. Excellent. 
And who do you know that best models this trait or has best modeled this trait and why? I look to, I think, a lot of spiritually inclined leaders who I think often come across as being really humble, although they know a lot. And, and I think it's, it's just from awareness of our humanity and recognizing how we are at the, almost at the mercy of emotions and mindsets and beliefs that all the stuff that goes on inside of us. And I think just appreciating that enables them to actually engage with others with greater empathy because it isn't from a space of judgment because we suddenly see, uh, you know, I'm not sure it's the right word, how fickle we are at what, what it is that we do. So we can perhaps have a greater level of empathy and compassion, I think, for others, which is a, you know, a stepping stone for all the other things that come. So I, I do find that there are people that operate there clearly very accomplished. They know a lot, but they don't come across with a level of arrogance. And I really appreciate that. That's amazing. And that's good for, for us to know too, because I think that sometimes people feel like they have to be more and we're already enough. And that's what you're describing, which is perfect. So what do you believe that almost no one else believes? I'd say it's it's really hard for me to know, you know, of course, what other people kind of believe. But I think what motivates me in many ways is is the belief of interdependence, that we're all really connected. And again, in a lot of especially indigenous traditions from around the world, we talk of us being part of this web of life. And again, once we see ourselves in that way, it changes everything, that I'm not separate from you. Right. Mm -hmm. And my actions, you know, are influencing your life and yours are influencing mine. So I stopped seeing myself as this special independent person in my own little bubble, but just part of just like this greater whole, you know, in the way that I think when we think about our bodies, the fingers and the toes, you know, don't have a life that's separate. They might be a different part, but I think we're all parts of this greater interdependent beings. So I think that lens, I think, is something that I think is out there, but I'm not sure it's as widespread as it needs to be. Right. And I, and I love that you're sharing that with the world, because even as you're talking, I'm thinking that for anyone, including myself, who feels on the whole or some days like they don't matter, when you think of yourself in that way, we all matter and everyone, every feel like you matter. And when people feel like we each matter to each other, then again, everything changes. So I love, I love that. Thank you for that. What is the wildest idea you've ever shared with others? And I love, our listeners can't see it, but I love, <laughs> I love the look on your face right now, Lyndon, <laughs> when I said wild idea. <laughs> to, to be honest, I have a lot of wild ideas, perhaps because I maybe have this imagination and thinking about possibilities. You know, one one wild idea was just that concept of being able to quote unquote democratize leadership development when I was at the Center for Creative Leadership. And I remember the the president of the organization at that time saying, I don't know how in the world you could do this, apart from kind of taking a dollar and putting it in a vending machine and getting something out, you know. So for us it was really one just starting out with the intention of what we wanted to do without knowing how but doing the work and the experiments to actually find the pathways. So I think ideas are good, but I think it's really about the intention because how it might be expressed in the world is 
perhaps not the way it needs to be, but once you get on the journey, you're trying to make it happen, you learn and you kind of keep growing and changing that actually then leads you to some level of success. Yes, I love that. And I love the democratizing leadership because it also helps everyone believe that they are a leader and that can be on that journey as early as possible. And, and I think that's huge too, because I think a lot of people wait until to start their journey. And I think that it's open to, it, it should be open to everyone. And, and I have the same joy and hope <laughs> and passion that everyone can see that because when you do see it, and sometimes I see it more brilliantly in, in our youth. So it's just, it's amazing. I love that vision of yours. Okay, so last question, and then I'll turn things over to Poyi for, for us to be ending on a, a super high note, although I, I don't know how it can be on a higher note than I feel right now. <laughs> but what is your biggest wish for the world right now? I think it is discovering this level of possibility that exists right now for us as human beings. You know, we've, if we look back, we've come on this long journey from, you know, where we started out, you know, whatever it was, living in caves and, you know, being at the mercy of the elements to now being, quote unquote, literally masters of the earth. We shape the earth and everything that's going on in many, many ways. And I think it's really recognizing we have the means right now to address those issues that have plagued humanity for so long you know, just feeding ourselves and having a place to stay and meaningful lives and work. I feel like we're in an age that actually we can provide this for pro almost everybody in the world, right? And it's really tuning into that and saying, how do we create the world that is fundamentally what we want? And it does require us to come together to have that vision and work towards those ends, that it's very much in reach. But at the same time, I think the threat is that we're moving in many ways in the opposite direction to greater independence and, if you will, competition. And, you know, none of us feel responsible for the environment of these great challenges. And there are folks out there in the world who believe that we might, as a species, if you will, only have a decade or a few decades to go before we wipe ourselves out. And so I think it's a really critical tipping point in our lives now to somehow rise up and transform, you know, to um, go up that spiral, if you will, to, to really look at our potential and our collective potential to, to make this a better world for everyone in the planet too. Excellent. Beautiful response, I, I agree. And, and that's a choice that is available to all of us. And it's, it's our dream too, that we collectively make that choice because we have more power over creating what happens next in our own reality than we ever give ourselves credit for. And collectively, if we could wake up to that, the possibilities are endless. So thank you. Thank you, Lyndon. Okay, the final segment, which we typically call um, the flip. So, Lyndon, at the core of our business is what we call the upspiral leader mindset. So, we teach leaders to think bigger by flipping limiting beliefs into possibilities for more collective success. So, at the end of each of our podcasts, we share one limiting belief and want you to help us replace it with a more empowering belief that would produce a better outcome. So, can you help us reframe the following limiting believe there is only one right answer yeah i think this is a really important one for you and i think many of us operate in rightness being the way that we see it 
but I work in innovation, right? And innovation, there isn't one solution. There might be a challenge or an issue that you're trying to address, but in fact, there might be thousands of potential solutions to it. And the question of what is right is really subjective. What are you trying to optimize and different people have different needs? And none of us can see, if you will, the end result of the things that we put into motion, right? So sometimes the good from a certain perspective turns into something that isn't so good. And sometimes the bad from a certain perspective leads to something good. So again, this level of humility of being able to be judgmental and say, well, this is the right answer is not, not the right thing. I was in a meeting yesterday with somebody who also kind of offered this perspective and said, well, instead of saying do the right thing, what if it was do the next right thing so that we don't have to think about, you know, that's the right thing, that's the right answer and feel either paralyzed or just be arrogant that we figured out the right thing. But what's the next step that we can take from that space of intention from where we can see? And it's always going to change, but it doesn't mean that we have to stay stuck, nor does it mean that we have to be arrogant and believe that what we've been able to see from our limited vantage point is the right thing for the world or everybody else. That's beautiful. Thank you. I love that. The, the humility and the, the next right thing. Yes. And that's so helpful in our world today, right? Where we cannot even be sure what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> so how do we, can, how can we know for sure that's the right thing? Because, to, you know, in the next five minutes, we may learn, oh, we have to change our plan. Thank you. That's really helpful. Awesome. Well, Linton, thank you so much for joining us on, our, on this podcast. I feel like we have learned so much from you in such a short time. And for our listeners, if you want to learn more about Linden, please check out his website, cometa.com. And Linden also has a blog post called spiritualsushi.com, where he shares bite-sized bits of information, ideas, and thought leadership with the world. So thank you again, Linden. We cannot wait to bring you back for another conversation. Thank you. My privilege to be with you. Thank you for the space for this. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Upspiral Leadership. If you enjoyed this show and want to join us in co-creating change, please email us at upspiralleadership at gmail.com. You can also support the show by leaving us a like and review on Apple Podcasts or by sharing this episode with your friends and colleagues. Thanks again and stay inspired.